Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia. I'm here with Joel Nayum, our nonfiction uh, specialist, and we're sitting across from Benjamin Law. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're in here today to talk about uh, the new Growing Up anthology, which is Growing Up Queer in Australia. I am. Um, yes, as you say, it's the new anthology because there have been ones before it. There's been Growing Up uh, Asian in Australia, Growing Up Aboriginal Australia, um, and Growing Up African in Australia. So great editors before me in the forms of Alice Pung, Maxine Beniba-Clark, and Anita Heiss. Um, and then we kind of realised, um, me and the folks at Black Ink, that there needed to be a queer anthology. And especially now, I, I don't think there's ever really been a time in Australia where um, queer kids and teenagers haven't had a um, fraught experience with their sexuality or gender identities and haven't been targeted for for that. And we thought it would be a really affirming, celebratory thing to showcase those experiences in a book. And it absolutely is. I think you say at the beginning in your intro that you this you sort of set out to edit a book that you wish you'd had when you were a kid, and reading it was this was actually quite a touching experience for me because I felt exactly the same way reading it. Oh, uh, I, it was like a I wished I could like transport it back back in time and give it to myself when I was. 14. <laughs> that is such a lovely thing to say because I, I felt similarly of um, Growing Up Asian in mm. Australia. So um, Growing Up Asian in Australia was edited by Alice Pung and I contributed to that anthology. And then when I read that anthology, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I haven't read other stories mm. like mine before. I think like maybe the closest thing was reading Amy Tan's The Joy Luck Club. And it's not like, you know, it's not like my parents lived through communist revolutions. <laughs> it's not like I'm of, I'm of the same uh, age or even diaspora community as Amy Tan, you know, being Asian American herself. But you're kind of looking for things that you can grasp onto. Mm. But these very specific Australian experiences of being an outsider, of being a minority, whether it's a racial minority, sexual agenda minority, and later on being a minority with um, a disability – because Carly Finlay will be editing the next anthology, Growing Up uh, Disabled in Australia. Fantastic. That's um, right. Yeah. It, it can be a struggle to see yourself represented in stories. And the fact that these are all real stories, personal essays, I think drives home that, well, look, you're not alone. And that's an important thing to remember. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think the whole, the Growing Up anthology, it kind of perfectly fits the stories of the queer community because from what I understand it, it seems to be a long process of growing up and realising who you are, you know. Mm. Um, most straight people just, you know, they go about their lives, they go through their adolescence and then they grow up and then, you know, go on to their lives. But for people who aren't in that heterosexual bubble, it's a whole process of re introducing yourself to yourself mm. in a way. Or well, reintroducing yourself to everybody you yeah. ever yeah. meet in, in some it, cases. It, it is a singularly kind of different experience to say growing up as a racial minority, which the last three anthologies kind of looked at. Because, um, you know, say growing up Asian in Australia, I didn't really have stories about people like me growing up. But at the end of the day, I went back home to a family like mine. Um, when you grow up queer, um, that's usually not your experience. You're usually having to work out who you are often on your own and sure there are lots of rainbow families out there but by and large a lot of young queer people in this country kind of have to navigate uh 
and discover who they are on their own terms um, and with few resources, especially when you're going back to generations like reading about David Mars or William Young's um, stories here. Um, you know, we're getting better at that, but historically there hasn't really been much to, to cling on to. Yeah, and a lot of the, um, at least the more heavy academic stuff, is often hid behind paywalls and university libraries that, and it's not really that accessible to everyone. So it's it's nice that there are a lot more of these kind of stories like being made available to more people. Mm. Absolutely. I thought um, it would be interesting to get your thoughts on the title. I ah, know yeah. queer is a, one of those words that I for a long time struggled with mm-hmm. myself but now embrace. Yes. But it's it's not something that everybody embraces. And no. I've had conversations, in fact, in the last like few days with yes. people about this very thing. And yeah. then reading the book, I was like, ah, oh, oh, this will be interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> so, look, there are some practical reasons why we had to name it mm. Growing Up Queer in Australia. Because if you, if you use one of the many myriad gorgeous acronyms of our communities, <laughs> LGBT, LGBT+, LGBTIQ+, LGBTI+, LGBTIQA+, they're all valid and they describe different sections of our community. Mm. Um, and queer is uh, kind of problematic, as you say, because, first of all, it's been used as a slur against so many people in our community for so long, uh, especially if you come from an older generation, this was almost primarily used as as a slur against you and your queer peers. But on the other hand, there is a really fascinating, rich, proud and political history of the usage of the term. Uh, I don't think it's uh, anyone, it's not an unfamiliar thing to hear the chant, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. Um, Beyond that, there's also a history of queer being reclaimed by sections of the community who saw that other parts of the community were becoming, uh, for want of a better word, mainstream. They still wanted Mm. to say, well, we're not the same as everyone else. We're different. That doesn't mean that we don't deserve equality, but don't think that we're just this amorphous mass that can be absorbed into the rest of society. We're actually proud of our differences and they should be celebrated on their terms. And I guess the other thing is for for younger generations, at least in this country, because I know usage of the term differs from country to country, Mm. but, but in the Australian context as well, queer has been a term that's not just been reclaimed, but also celebrated and owned by younger LGBTIQA plus young people um, because it's something they identify with. It's also, um, as much as it encompasses all those different elements of the community, some people just identify primarily as queer as well. And that's because they are less comfortable with the other more rigid terms that um, the other um, words in that acronym describe. Mm, Absolutely. so when it comes to actually uh, editing the anthology, so you, as you said, you contributed to uh, uh-huh. Growing Up Asian, and I, I, I is it your first uh, anthology? Have you edited an anthology before? Like uh, this? this is my first anthology. Wow! Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. Thank you. How, how did you feel about it? Uh, excited and then <laughs> deeply overwhelmed because <laughs> it's a huge responsibility. You first of all want to make sure that you capture the myriad communities plural Mm. within queer you want to make sure that you're capturing across the generations because people from different generations in australia's queer communities have had such vastly different experiences because 
you know, the personal is the political mm. and uh, broader politics uh, about and inside the queer communities have changed quite drastically as time has gone on. And, of course, you want to make sure that you are including the intersections of queer communities. You want to make sure that people from non-Anglo queer backgrounds in, such as myself, are included. You want to make sure that um, queer people with disabilities is com- are included. Um, men, women, people who identify as neither, non-binary people, all of those people need to be included. So balancing those very uh, practical considerations with also making sure that the stories are, are fantastic um, was a big challenge. But in the end, the biggest challenge was actually reducing it down to the book we've got now because the contributions were just so good. It was actually heartbreaking to leave to leave so many of them out. It could almost be a two volume anthology, mm. but we're really happy with the ones that we've got that we've got in there now. Yeah, I mean, every one of them that I read is is a cracker. So yeah. it's and really different, and that, in such different ways, right? Yeah. Like some are funny, some are just absolutely heartbreaking some are kind of horny yeah uh, <laughs> and uh, some just reveal things that you wouldn't expect and and as much as i want um you know and hope that queer people will come to the book and recognize themselves in the book i also hope that obviously cisgender and heterosexual people read it and mm. learn but i also hope that queer people read the book and learn about learn about other queer people because the yeah. gay experience is not the same as the bi experience or the trans experience or the intersex experience we've got to learn about each other in the queer community too absolutely absolutely so when you came to structure it i mean you as for people who don't know, the center of the book has some interviews in it. Uh-huh. It's the palate cleanser. The palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah. That was quite a nice little difference. Uh-huh. And also your voice came back into it. So uh-huh. we got to have the intro. It's, and all about, it's all about me. It's all about you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and, and, and Christos and Kate and blah. <laughs> so d- d- how did you decide to structure it? And uh, obviously not just with the interviews, but in t- particularly in terms of representation. Did mm. you go out intentionally and find the people that you needed or did you... How did you come up with the structure you came up with? Look, in terms of commissioning, some people we we wanted in the book just because we knew that, um, you know, like we had a wish list. Mm. um, And a lot of the people, probably about a quarter to a third of the people in the anthology, are part of that wish list. Um, And then the rest we led to just a complete open call. And then once we boiled it down to the submissions we wanted, um, originally I wanted to line the stories up that were just completely different to each other. But then I realised in threading them together it's almost like you know coming up with a playlist right Mm. um then i was like no actually once you finish that story i almost want the next story to kind of pick up a little thread of that story like a relay baton and start a new story so there Mm. are some stories that are back to back in this story that that speak to each other or feel like a continuation or sometimes even a counterpoint to the story that preceded it um and then i wanted to have some q a's because um there are some people in the queer community who might not be writers uh with capital w Per se, but they are great storytellers and they've got interesting lives. And, you know, someone like Georgie Stone, for instance, who's just taking off, she's she's getting a starring role on Neighbours, you know, the first transgender performer playing a trans character mm. on Australian television in that way and of that generation. It's a, it's a huge milestone. Um, and I just wanted Georgie in the book somehow. How are we yeah. going to get her in the book? Well, let's just do a really great zippy Q&A with her. Um, and also the thing with me is like, 
I like Q&As. So, <laughs> so if you just open the book to the middle and you also like Q&As, you just need a bit of a palate cleanser. You can just like flick through. So a part of me was also thinking about the actual bookish book experience. The bookish yeah, experience, you just yeah. Tear it open to the middle, read a Q&A before you go to the next one. Yeah, essay. I bounced around. I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to read this one. You were and promiscuous. Some of, them, some of them I just kept going and they would yeah. just run into each other. And yeah. I totally know what you mean about threading them together. But yeah, it felt like a very... Um, thoughtful experience so oh, good um good work oh thank you i'll take that compliment <laughs> no but there's a lot of there's a lot of work done by um our editors kirsty innes will uh and and dion kagan who were just central so those conversations weren't just had in solitude with of me course. it was a big team effort as it always is mm-hmm. people don't always realize how much work goes into making a book but mm. i want all the credit <laughs> Well, your name is on the front. Yes. <laughs> so we've seen a couple of um, advanced copies go floating around on Twitter. Um, what's been the reception so far? Because all I've seen is unbridled joy. Yeah. Mm. I think what's been really satisfying is seeing um, how stoked the contributors are um, at getting not just published in a book, but also published alongside heroes and people that they really admire it's kind of like you know twitter and instagram come to life in in this one volume um there's been some really really lovely um kind of advanced copy reviews which is which is lovely because the advanced copy that was sent out to a lot of reviewers um is quite different to the final version Uh, there are a lot more stories in the final version um i hadn't written an intro yet Maybe they won't like it after they read the intro. No, <laughs> um, um, but the reception has just been super positive, and I think one of the biggest uh, and most common reactions is, "Thank God this book exists," and that's why we know that it's been valuable because it feels like this inevitability. Um, in some ways, I feel like it's come late. There should have been an anthology many, many years ago mm. uh, collecting LGBTIQA plus stories from across Australia and across generations. Um, really grateful that we have it now and, yeah, grateful to be a part of it as so many contributors are too. Absolutely. Um, I thought we could talk a bit about uh, race and queerness, mm-hmm. um, particularly as you are uh, uh, an Asian Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, what What... And I, I grew up looking completely Caucasian, mm-hmm. but with my family is is uh, uh, an ethnic of. Eth- I'm going to start <laughs> again. <laughs> uh, my father was born in Egypt, and two of my brothers look ethnic, mm. and m- me and another one of my brothers look like my mum. And so we, I've always grown up with this very strange feeling about being hidden, yeah. and then being bi is the same. You feel yeah. hid, I'm a secret gay and a secret, <laughs> and secret, a secret ethnic. ethnic. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to get your thoughts just on on what it's like to have to live with that every day, both things at once, yeah. being hit with both barrels. I think you understand quite intimately what it is to live with duality. Mm. And often it's not so much that you would have to struggle in and of it of yourself, but the fact that other people do, mm. that other people can't handle, that you can be simultaneously this and that and that and that, that it's not but, it's mm. and. You know, I can be all of these things at once. It's like, you know, it's like asking someone, do you feel like you're more of a woman or a mother or a sister? Like, it's, <laughs> it's so strange because all of those kind of parts of ourselves, those realms of ourselves relate to different parts of our Mm. lived experiences. Um, And when it comes to me, you know, um, when I had to meditate quite 
specifically on on my race that was that was when i was writing for growing up asian in australia and um yeah so much of the the hunger that i felt for representation was about seeing families like mine on screen but another part of that hunger was also seeing you know just young people attracted to the same sex or uh and that growing up in um you know, 1990s Queensland, the last, <laughs> the last mainland Australian state to decriminalise homosexuality, uh, it, it would have, like, it, it, it would have been such a different experience to have had, I don't know, like a Love, Simon out there or a Glee. That doesn't necessarily change everything. But then with b- both of those stories there, you know, the way that race and sexuality intersex is also quite interesting Mm. too and it's why i wanted a lot of um, people from various ethnic backgrounds uh, to be contributing to this because there have been let's just say queer publishing especially in this country is very anglo focused absolutely Um, uh, you know i'm talking about the fact that dna magazine has i think had only one non-white cover model like i think dna does great work and they've got like non-anglo models in the magazine but on the cover, they've only had one non-Anglo model. Mm. I think that's problematic um, as much as I admire the work that they do. Um, manifest in advertising in that way as well. Um, and so when we talk about diversity, often we think of like individual markers, but we don't think about the way those individual backgrounds overlap. Um, and that's something that I, instead of avoiding in this anthology, I wanted to lean into um, and showcase. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes through. It's I, I do think it was really interesting to hear the the stories from people from different racial backgrounds because it mm. felt like everyone had a different experience. And, and different racial different racial backgrounds have a different experience. Yeah, and because it's first person as well, because mm. these are personal essays, um, I don't think it's that difficult to empathize with you know a queer person of Sri Lankan background because suddenly you're sucked into this first person narrative of being an outsider in one way it's not that difficult to extend your imagination to being an outsider in a different way simultaneously mm. um yeah yeah way in mm. absolutely well I think we might have run out of time even though I would love to keep talking so um I'll just leave it with thanking you so much for your time Ben Thank you so much, Booktopia team. Thanks for having me and making me sign 500 copies of the book, um, you know, in a windowless room. It was really wonderful. It was delightful. I just love making the experience so special for every single person. Well, you've you've just helped me discover my new kink. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks. Um, And you can order your copy of Growing Up Queer in Australia from booktopia.com.au or from your local bookstore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.